You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning. My name is Elena Brand. I'm in fifth grade and part of Hope Kids and the Faith in Action Puppet Ministry. Please stand for today's reading. The passage today is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all the authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let me give it up for Miss Elena, please. She crushed that. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, good morning. My name is uh, Matthew Cogswell. I'm the uh, discipleship pastor here at Hope Fellowship Church. And um, I want to say welcome. Uh, Our senior pastor, uh, Mark Gaskew, he is uh, out of town this weekend. He's spending time with family. And um, for those of you who were here last week, um, you would understand when I say, Pastor Mark, please don't put together any more toy kids, uh, castles for your granddaughter. Let's just hold off on that for this weekend. Um, that, uh, that was, a that was a lot of pieces to that, that puzzle there. But, um, last week, Pastor Mark, he had, um, we started our, our series, this, uh, series of becoming and belonging. It's a it's a series that we, we do every time around this year as we celebrate the start of the planting of Hope Fellowship Church. Uh, we celebrated 17 years um, so far, and uh, man, God has been doing some amazing things uh, here at Hope. Uh, my wife, Sarah, and I, we've been here uh, for coming about nine years or so, and uh, man, it's just been an incredible journey. We've grown so much since coming here, and um, I just want to say to those of you who are joining for the first time, maybe this is your first day, or those of you who are been here for about a, maybe you know, a month or so, or 17 years, welcome, and, and you're part of the journey. You are part of this journey, and we are thankful to have you uh, here with us. And so, um, every journey, any uh, unless you're trying to get lost, but in every journey, you should know the destination, Right? A destination is really important. Vision is really important. The Bible talks about how important it is. They say that the, without vision, that the people will perish. So vision is so important, and that's what we're doing here. We're taking time to unpack what the vision here at Hope Fellowship is about. And what, what is the vision? What's the vision and mission? Helping people to... <laughs> We're, hey, we need some time. We need some work. All right, we'll work on this. It's helping people to become and belong through loving God, loving others, and making disciples. Let's go. That's good. You guys can give a little round of applause for yourselves for that. No. <laughs> We're working on it. It takes time, right? Um, that's why we try to repeat over and over again. And most of all, we want you to understand what it is we mean by that. And so Pastor Mark did a phenomenal job heading home with that truth. Um, last uh, week by talking about how, man, God's love for us uh, expressed through the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is where we begin, it's where we start. It's this love that fueled the early church, and it's what must fuel the church today. It's uh, this, this love, this, this, this love for God and love for people. It's not a new thing. We didn't come up with this, Right? Um, and that's what Pastor Mark hit home with last week. He said, man, are we just, and you go back to the instruction manual, right? And you go back to the word of God. Side note, if you're here this morning and, 
and, and the word of God is not authoritative in your life, that's a really important place to start. Because what we're doing, we're talking about is coming from this and we hold this very seriously. We believe this is the inspired word from God. It's not just words on a page. And so we go back to the instruction manual. We go back to the word and we look at the church in Acts chapter 2 where we see this early church and how it functioned. It is pretty simple yet beautiful in its ways. And it could be summed up with how uh, Pastor Mark said is that they, they came together to learn. They came together to, to love one another. They came together to live in community. And they came to worship. These were the centering aspects of it. And, and then we took time to unpack Romans chapter 12, which if you have not uh, read that chapter, I encourage you during your times of uh, devotion to, to really dig into that uh, this week. Because it really shines light on what does it look like to love practically. It's called the love chapter. And in it, we found that, man, love must be sincere. It's got to be genuine. It's got to go deeper than some surface level love. This love, it chooses to honor one another from different backgrounds, from different socioeconomic backgrounds to different uh, ethnicities to all of that because the reality is it's by the mercies of God that we are called into love other people. And so... Love is not just words, but it's action. It's investing in one another. And these truths can, can really uh, come back to uh, the, the great commandment. Uh, the great commandment that, uh, that in, you, you see in the gospel of Matthew as well as the gospel of Mark. And that's what I want to read it from Mark chapter 12, verse 30 through 31. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment of all the commandments? What's the greatest commandment? And he says this. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment greater than these. Love God, love people. Sound familiar? Right? Should. <laughs> um, love is our motive. Love is our motive. And it's also the fuel as Pastor Mark uh, talked about last week. But fuel for what? Fuel for what? What is this fuel charging us to do? What should it be leading us to do? Well, we believe here, hope that this fuel should be fueling us, this love should be fueling us to be making disciples. That's the mission. That's the mission of the church to be making disciples who make disciples. And, and so you, you see it all begins with God's love for us, even yet while we were sinners, far from God, wretched, dead in our trespasses. That love pursues us. We hear the gospel. We hear the good news that, that Jesus died for our sins. He was raised from the dead. And that we must turn from our sins and, and, and follow him. And that we would be restored into a relationship with him. That he's coming back again. That this good news, this mercy of God, which should compel us to love others. Right? Which then fuels our love for, for people. And when we love people like Jesus, we will be engaged in the mission of making disciples. A theologian by the name of Dan Spader once put it bluntly when he said this, to try to make disciples without love uh, gains nothing. And if we say we love people, but never try to make disciples, then our love is a lie. Dang, bro. Cutting, man. It's like, man, uh, and, and, and so what does it mean then? What does it mean to be making disciples? That's a good question, right? Because, the reality is it can be very confusing. And it's got very convoluted over the years in, in church history, the concept of discipleship. Some people think it's just deeper Bible study. 
right? Deeper, deeper Bible study is really important, but that's not the whole of what Jesus was saying. Some people think it's like joining a missions team or something like that. There's a lot of different things that come to mind. It's just gotten confusing over the years, especially in the American church over the years where it can leave people with a very small, boring, powerless view of this mission. Somehow, right, just not even aiming for that mission. So the bottom line for today, this morning, and what I'm praying for is that hope for Hope Fellowship is that and true discipleship would ignite when we return to where Jesus first passed the torch. That discipleship would ignite when we return to where Jesus first passed the torch. The, tur- the torch. Go ahead and turn to somebody next to you and say, are you ready to live on mission? Go ahead. Ask, ask them, are you ready to live on mission? Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Like, I need more coffee this morning. Okay, before I get on mission, it's all good. We'll get you some more coffee. But we got Let's go ahead and pray um, before we op- open up the scriptures here this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus, and we ask for your Holy Spirit, even now, to begin to illuminate your word and help us to see you, Jesus. Or we can talk a lot about making disciples and discipleship, but if we're not mastering the master, then what's it all about? So, Lord, guide us. Hide me behind the cross. May you be lifted up and glorified in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. So kind of help put into perspective the sheer magnitude and glory and excitement about the mission that we are invited to and entrusted to as as followers of Christ. I can't help but think about the Olympics. Who here likes the Olympics? Yeah. Um, uh, The Summer Olympics are coming up. You know where it's going to be at? Paris. Yeah, Paris, right? Um, I just, I don't know why I did that. I don't know, did a parry. I don't don't know if that's even a thing. But anyways, um, July 26th, it's going to start the Summer Olympics. And um, what is some of your favorite events? Soccer. Volleyball. What about tug of war? You guys are laughing. In 1900, from 1900 to 1920, I found out, there's tug of war was an Olympic event. I'm like, let's go, let's go, right? Um, This summer, they're going to be opening up breakdancing. Do not ask me right now. Afterwards, I'll I'll show you little moves. It's all good. Let's do it. Afterwards. But listen, Summer Olympics, every four years, the Summer Olympics begin with an event that captures the imagination of the world. What is it? It's the lighting of the flame, isn't it? The lighting of the Olympic flame. And so um, we have uh, here at at Hope Fellowship, uh, we have our own torch bearer over here. Would you give it for Josh Powell, please? Thank you. Yeah. So um, at the end of an international marathon uh, relay, one final runner will enter into the stadium after, uh, man, traveling by foot, by bicycle, by boat, um, or by hair. Sometimes over thousands of miles, the torch finally enters into the stadium in the hands of a final runner, right? And that runner, to the thrill of millions, he ignites the Olympic flame. This is a tiki torch. (laughs) If you didn't get that, but you guys can use your imagination, can't you, right? We're, we're imagining the folks. And so, and I'm also going to put it out because Pastor Mark said he's going to kill me if I set off any smoke detector alarms. And you think I'm joking, but he's, he would kill me. Um, so, um, but listen, just, let's just think about it for a second. Let's just pause for a moment and imagine wouldn't it be exciting to be one of the bearers of the flame? 
Wouldn't it be exciting? Just picture it. Each stride you take gives a sense of mission, of purpose. Your fingers are carefully holding onto this symbol that represents Olympic competition. All fatigue fades away as adrenaline fills you for this once-in-a-lifetime moment. Being able to carry that torch, the honor, would be incredible. Why? Because you know that in that moment, you're a part of something so much bigger than yourself. Part of a historic link in the course of years. Listen, as Christians, we are called to carry a torch. We carry a flame of so much greater value that it makes the Olympics pale in comparison. Unfortunately, for many in the American church and in general, the, the Great Commission has become a word of the distant past. In 2019, the research group Barna did a study to see how many churchgoers in the U.S. have ever heard of the Great Commission. And not only have, have they heard of it, but also knew what it meant. Do you want to know what percentage knew it? What you guess? No guesses? All right. 17%. 17% of all churchgoers in the United States of America heard of the Great Commission and knew what it meant. Think about that. The mission of the church handed down from the master, the Great Commission, 17%. Can I tell you something? We need to return back to where Jesus first passed the torch, don't we? We need to return. And so, That great commission, which is found in the gospel of Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20, which uh, Elena read so capably uh, earlier this morning. We're going to spend some time breaking that down here in in just a a minute. But I want to start off by focusing on another occasion in the Bible that's a little bit before that, that, uh, where Jesus gives us a model. He gives us a model for what this looks like. Acts Chapter 2 gives us a model uh, for how the church should function. Well, here in John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23, we'll see the model for how we are to make disciples. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23 is where we're going to be reading. And as you are turning there, I want to give you a little context to this passage. Uh, Jesus had just been crucified. The disciples' best friend, their their beloved rabbi, the Messiah, had just been brutally murdered right before their eyes. Their cause and their minds is done. Their hopes, their dreams dashed. And now they are hiding behind closed doors, terrified that they're going to be next. They're paralyzed with fear. And saying, what's, what, what are we going to do? Verse 19, we pick up. It says, that Sunday evening, Sunday after Jesus was crucified, the disciples were meeting behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now there's so much that could be said in this passage. It's so so much. First of all, let's just establish, we too would be freaking out if we saw somebody that we knew and loved 
who is just crucified, now standing before us in the flesh and blood, right? Let's just be real. Be terrified. We need Jesus to be like, hey, peace, 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 right? Peace with you. Right? In John, the gospel, it emphasized this is no ghost. This is no hallucination. He wants his readers. He wants the, those who read this later on, the church, to hear it. Now, this is, this is the, the disciples seeing Jesus in the flesh. And they emphasize that how? Because Jesus said, hey, look at the wounds in my hands and in my side. He said, touch it. Later on, Thomas, who wasn't there with them, Jesus had to make another appearance, right? Because he doubted that whole thing happened. But this was, just think that it's incredible. The Messiah, he's alive. He's standing before them in the flesh. And, but, and it goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit and, and, and breathing on it and then the forgiving of sins. There's so much there that we can't uh, really dig into right now. But what I really want to focus on is that verse in 21. What does it say? It said, again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. What is he doing? He said, I'm the model. I'm the model. Not Peter, not John. Like, I'm the model. And he said, as I was sent, so I'm sending you. Question how was Jesus sent? How was he sent? I bet many of you can quote John 3.16, right? For God so... He gave his only son. Okay, that's good. What about verse 17? For he, God did not send his world into the, into the world to condemn but he came to save the world. Something to save the world. He was sent as a minister of reconciliation. He was sent, he was sent to redeem a lost world to his heavenly father. How else was Jesus sent? Because remember, he tells his disciples, as the father sent me, I'm sending you. How else was he sent? John 1, 4 through 5 says, the word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse nine, it says, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone was coming into the world or he was sent into the world. Now we see that he was, he was sent to bring light, to bring light and darkness. We live in a dark world, don't we? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you don't need to talk about that. Yeah, we do need to talk about it. We need to be real with where we're at, not to meditate on those things and not be hyper-focused because we want to be keeping our things on things that are above and, and, and what are pure and lovely for sure, but we don't doesn't mean to ignore where we're at. We're living in a dark world. School shootings, church shootings, There's, I don't know if your phone's getting blown up like mine, but about the politicians and all this stuff and division and all this, this crazy, all going, we're living in a dark world. And, and what is Jesus saying when he says, how I was sent to the world, so I'm sending you? He's saying, you have a mission to be disciples who make disciples who bring light in a dark world. Right? John 5, 14 through 16 says this, says, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed, what, on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Look, we, when we were, are truly living our lives in pursuit of Christ, this journey of becoming and belonging, becoming more like him, allowing him to shape our character and our priorities and to reflect his heart, we're gonna burn bright for the world to see. 
pointing those around us in the dark world, searching for hope, searching for purpose that can only be found in the risen, resurrected Son of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. And in a minute, we're going to walk through this great commission. But I want to touch upon this question because I think it's, it's, it's important. It's pertinent to where we're at. Because we can't be making disciples if we're not first being disciples. And, and so my question to you is, what does it look like to hide your light? What does it look like? I think, one, we can hide our light when we're being quiet, when we need to speak up. Not that we have to, now I'm not talking about we're getting into arguments and, and all of that. No, no, no. But speaking up when a friend says to you that their life is going down the tubes, you know they're far from God and you're listening. But, it, but if we're not then speaking up and pointing them to what Jesus has done in your life and to the hope, then we're putting out our lights. We put out our lights or hide our lights when we're going along with the crowd, getting caught up in the monotony of life. It's not anything specifically sinful, but it's just this kind of just mundane, just going through the motions and this meh type of attitude, this apathetic, right? We get in our busy schedules and we're just caught into that. And it's just what happens is it begins to focus in just to us. We hide our lights. We hide our lights when we are allowing sin to go unfest, unconfessed. Yes, we're forgiven, yes. But if we're not daily in a relationship, talking to our Heavenly Father and just being real with the fact that we live in a broken world and we still have a flesh that wants to rear its ugly head and we have a very real enemy and we sin and we're not confessing it and saying, Lord, forgive me or, or Lord, cleanse me. Hey, hey, Lord, help me. What are we doing? Hiding our lights. Matter of fact, the light's getting snuffed out. Not that we're losing our salvation, don't go down there. But I'm saying you and I don't, are not going to shine brightly when we are consumed with unconfessed sin. Next, ignoring the needs of others. We dim our lights or we hide our lights when we are no longer looking to serve people around us, ignoring the needs. Listen, there are too many in the church who are passionless, purposeless, powerless. Why? Is it because there's something wrong with God? Is it because the gospel doesn't have any power anymore? Come on, somebody. Or is it because we're hiding our lights? We're not first being disciples, abiding in Christ. Allowing him to shape us, mold us, abiding in him. We've forgotten the model. We've forgotten the model. Jesus is the model. He, he's he's guide us. He, he's, he's the one that we look to, to what does it look like to be living life and living on mission. We must first be a disciple of Jesus before we can ever make disciples of Jesus. We want to hope fellowship to be a, a community of imperfect people who are unashamed of the gospel. Unashamed, unapologetic. Why? Because by the mercies of God that compels us. We never lose that sight. It leads us back to the cross. Unashamed of the gospel that we're letting our light shine, pursuing Christ, living on mission, that darkness can't help but be lit up when we're together. That's what we're about here, Hope Fellowship Church. But listen, we need to return back to where Jesus first passed the torch. This is not something that we create ourselves. We determine what a disciple is. No, it's already been defined for us. In Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20, when Jesus first passed the torch on to his followers, he gave us a now a method for making disciples to carry it on. Let's read it. Verse 16. So then the 11 disciples left 
for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Pause. That verse, uh, chapter 20, this was before Jesus had given this commandment or this great commission. He actually was 40 days, he was appearing to his disciples, having talks with them. The Bible says that, begin to show them what does it be, look like to living in the kingdom of God. And, and, and so he's appearing to them. And so he had told them to go to this mountain to begin to, um, because he's going he's gonna to do something. And so they obey and they go. Verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Think about it. Some still doubted. I love that. I love the, the raw reality of, of the Bible. Like some, people, some of you are still doubting. Hey, welcome. Jesus commissions you anyways. This is what he says. Verse 18. He came to his disciples. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, when Jesus first passed the torch. Let's break down for a second. First thing, he said, all authority. All authority. All authority in heaven and earth. Listen, you and I need to remember whose authority we're under. This isn't the authority of Hope Fellowship Church. They're called to make disciples. This isn't the authority of the government. This isn't even your authority. This is Jesus, Master, Messiah, who said all heaven and on earth, and, 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 and heaven and earth, all authority has been given unto him. By whose authority are you under? It's an important thing to remember, right? Because if we start going about this and we start going about it in our own authority, to get our own mind, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss the mark. But if we first remember all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto the commander in chief and he is said to go, that authority then what? It empowers you. Come on, so there's somebody else. You need to go wake up right here. I'm talking about your authority. Where is your authority? Now, some of you guys are probably thinking, oh, man, you're talking about legal authority. You're talking about, no, I'm not talking about, li- I'm thinking about, think about when he said all authority in, in heaven and earth, think about power, all power. Because you know what I know here? Because I am one of you, I'm a person and I struggle just like you. There's some of you here that love God, you love people, but you are stuck in this mindset that you have nothing to offer. That your story doesn't matter because it's not like their story or his story or that story. You think because you have a certain personality type that there's no way that God could use you. Let me tell you something. Remember whose authority, whose authority you're under. He didn't say all those who are extroverted, you're going to be my people living on mission. He, he, he didn't say all those who can talk really nice, you guys are going to be the ones that are going to be on mission. All, all those who have ministerial degrees, you guys are going to be the ones on mission. He said, no, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now go. And he commissioned a ragtag bunch of fishermen. By whose authority are we under? Number two, he said, make disciples of all nations. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. This single activity was the driving focus of Jesus' life. Jesus poured his life into a few disciples and taught them to make other disciples. 17 times we find Jesus with the masses, but 46 times we see him with his disciples, these few disciples within two years after the spirit was poured out at Pentecost went out and they 
filled all of Jerusalem with Jesus' teachings. They were sent. It wasn't long before they turned the world upside down for Jesus. Those are the words of Romans at that time. Jesus, listen, was about multiplying, not simply adding. What do you mean by that, Pastor Matt? I had this conversation with, with Pastor Mark the other day, and we're talking about just the, the church, and I mean, we, we absolutely we love hope, and we, our doors are open to all people from all different denominations, and there's people that coming from different church backgrounds and coming here, and, and, what, and we love that. But listen, we don't consider true church growth unless we're making disciples who make disciples, not just adding people to a group that went from another church. Are you all listening? We welcome everybody, love that. But Jesus said, make disciples. He didn't say win people from other churches. Ooh, Pastor Matt, oh, my God, watch my mouth. Make disciples who make disciples. We're about multiplication, not just simply adding people to the group. <clears throat> Winning people through the gospel of Jesus Christ and sharing our mind. We're, we're about equipping the saints for that. I don't know where in church history it got to the point where evangelism and discipleship were uh, separated. But can I tell you something? They're not separated. You can't separate evangelism from discipleship. Why? Because Jesus modeled that we win souls. We evangelize. We, 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 t- we share the gospel. We share our testimony. And then we, and by the grace of God, by the spirit of God, we win them, we point them to the cross and it's not us, but we just simply pointing and Jesus and God, he, he, he captures hearts and the gospel still saves today and he redeems hearts and brings them into a right relationship. But can I tell you something? We don't stop there. Jesus never said, go and make converts. He said, make disciples. And so we're about taking new believers who are baby, babies in Christ and walking with them and, and showing what does it mean to, to belong and to abide in Christ and to know their identity in, in Christ and, and to grow deep roots in the Lord. And, and then we don't stop there. We take that person and we're walking with them and, and, and we're, we're showing them, equipping them to then become a fisher of men, to go back into the world, back into the same place of darkness where God draw them from and say, hey, guess what? You are now my voice and my witness to a dark world and they begin to learn how to share the gospel and win souls and lead them to the cross and then they walk with them and guide them and then this is uh, perpetuation this this journey this mission that's beautiful and it's when you involve the community it's amazing it's called discipleship or disciple making it's the mission it's what we're about it's beautiful comes at a cost, no doubt. But what great thing doesn't? Time, it's going to cost you some time. Emotional capacity, it's going it's to cost you that. Cost you dying to yourself sometimes, it's going to cost you that a lot. Welcome to the journey. Number three, he said, go. Let's break this down. Go. So he said, all authority in heaven and earth, make disciples, go. Although the Great Commission is usually translation, translated, go and make disciples, the verb for go is better translated as, as you're going or as you go. This is huge. Because in other words, the going, Jesus wasn't talking about, he wasn't talking about just a, a special event. He wasn't just saying, hey, go to the, the four chairs training. That was it. I want you to come to the four chairs training. That's good. But that's not all that he was saying. He's saying, as you go, as you live life, as you go to work, make disciples. 
As you go to school, make disciples. As you go home to your family, wife, kids, husband, make disciples. When you're walking your dog in your neighborhood, make disciples. What are you saying, Master Matt? Are you saying something like, is this like an everyday thing? Yeah. This is an everyday thing. This is an everyday command for every believer for every day of your life. And it is awesome. Why? Because although it costs you something, there's nothing quite like waking up in the morning and knowing you are a part of an overall mission. God is using you as his hands and his feet to make a difference in a dark world. It means that the, the hurts, the pains, the abuses, the trials, the tribulations that you experience in your life, that if you endured, was not all for nothing. Matter of fact, God's got some people that he knows that by your witness, by your experience, you're going to be able to witness to them who are far from God. And you're going to need to know there is hope. As you go, make disciples. It's a beautiful thing because, you know what? God is about making disciples of all nations, all people. He called us to, to go. It's an everyday thing. And there's people right now in the streets right now in Anderson, South Carolina, without food, shelter, family, Far from God. And what is Jesus saying? I love that person. They matter to me. They were created in my image. I want them. Go. Jesus saying, there are people in very nice, beautiful, manicured neighborhoods. Lots of money, lots of things. But inside, they're spiritually dead. Guess what Jesus is saying? I love that person. They matter to me. They are created in my image. Now go, make disciples. He's saying there's some people next to you right now that are hurting, they are broken, they feel like they are forgotten. They're believers. They feel like they've just been left and they don't know what's happening around the corner. And guess what Jesus is saying? Go, make disciples. Walk alongside them, build them up, point them to the cross. Show them their identity. And that's the next thing, baptize. Baptize. Baptizing is a critical element of disciple making. It's not just dunking somebody underneath the water. It indicates identifying publicly with the work and cause of Christ. When a person comes to faith in Christ, they must then be baptized to uh, enter their identity in Christ. There's, a lot, there's an identity crisis, not just the world, but in the church. We don't know who we belong to. We don't know where the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We need to be immersed in that. We need somebody to come alongside us and guide us in the scriptures and walk with us and love on us and, and befriend us and point us and can you put an arm around us and say, hey, I'm going to walk as you trip and as you fall. Let me, let me just guide you of who you are. When you've sinned, guess what? It's not the end of the world. God doesn't cast you aside because you know why? Because he says, you're my child. You are loved. You are dearly beloved. You are, you are forgiven. Baptize, immerse. These disciples in their identity. And lastly, teach, teach to obey the commands. Teaching others to obey everything I have commanded you, he said, involves a lifetime of following and learning from Christ. That's the essence of what a disciple is. It's a student. We're lifelong learners. We're mastering the master, not just Sunday morning. Jesus gives more than 400 commands in the, in the Gospels, and more than half of them are disciple-making commands. Becoming a disciple of Jesus does not mean completing a curriculum or attending another church activity. Once again, come to the four chairs training. It is great. It's a tool. But if it's not used, if it's not put into practice, it's just a really cool tool. 
It's not meant to come and check off your list that you're now a disciple. It's a lifelong journey. And we're called to teach, to obey. It's a lifestyle of becoming more like Jesus. It's not about just hearing Jesus' teachings and praying a prayer and then going about our own lives. It's about learning to pattern our lives around the rhythms of Jesus. How he lived his life, taking upon his easy yoke, taking upon his, how he lived, not just what he taught, but how he lived his life. And as we learn to live a lifestyle of obedience, we bear fruit, more fruit, and then much fruit. John 15, 1 through 8. God multiplies our lives and our effectiveness to the ends of the earth and so that we can make disciples of all nations. So question for you, are you carrying your torch? Do you know you're bearing a flame? Do you know you're a part of something that makes the Olympics pale in comparison? Listen, myself, Pastor Mark, Pastor Nathan, the staff, I can just, I can speak for them when I say this. We don't have this all together. (laughs) We don't. Well, you're the discipleship pastor. You should have it. No, No. I'm hitting my knees every day saying, Jesus, show me. I'm digging in his word and I'm meditating on every day saying, show me. I'm praying every day saying, Lord, fill me. I'm praying, I'm asking God, give me your love. Show me your love so I can show it to others. I'm repenting daily, being a knucklehead to my wife sometimes or my kids. Repenting of the missed opportunity. I was right there, but then I was kind of caught up in the moment and I was too busy thinking about my own thing when really God was stirring my heart to talk to this person next to me and, and just spark a conversation and maybe even that could lead to sharing the gospel. We don't have it all together here. But you know what we're about? We're about that mission. As imperfect as we are, that's what we're about. Love God, love people, make disciples. It's not just a whole fellowship thing. This is is kind of a Jesus thing. Young people, college students, I'm just going to say this real quick and then there's no greater cause to be a part of. of. There's a lot of causes in the world, a lot of important things, There's only one great cause, one great mission, one great commission that supersedes it all. Those who are a little bit older, seasoned in the years, can I tell you something? Your past is not just your glory days. There's more to come. God wants to use you on mission. We need to return to where Jesus first passed the torch. There's no greater honor, no greater mission. So here's this morning's invitation. It's going to look a little different. It's going to look a little different. We're, uh, those with baskets are going to come forward and in their baskets are candles. And these candles, we want for you to take it. I want you to take with you. Don't return it. Take it with you. Put it on your Put it in your car or in your, at your workplace or at your home, whatever. Take it. I want it to be a, something to rem, remind you, continue to remind, because we need rem, you know, reminding sometimes, don't we? 
So we take that candle, and what I want you to do, I just simply want for you to light it off of the candle to the person that's sitting next to the basket, or light it off somebody else's candle. And what I want us to do is I want to sit in this moment for a little bit, and I want us to reflect and ask ourselves, am I really loving God and loving others? Is it really leading me to be making disciples or what's missing? Begin to truly seek the Lord during this time. This is a a moment. You guys can come forward. It's a moment that shouldn't end here. but it should continue on from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we come back here to celebrate. And then guess what? It repeats. It's an everyday thing for every believer, for every day of our lives. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite you to come forward. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this space. I thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you for your great mission. That you didn't call us to be great. You are the great one. So Lord, we just simply are saying, we're here. We don't have all the answers, but we know that you are the answer. You are the way and the truth and the life. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to ignite hearts, this morning for your mission, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.